So as Josh uh, said, and as you saw with the reef, this is the second Sunday of Advent on the move, and by His grace, uh, today as a family, we come together, and we do look at this topic of peace. Um, and I was, I was thinking a lot about this, um, and one of the things that I think for me, having grown up in this culture, um, and having gone through a number of generations, I, I've heard a lot of different songs about peace. How about you? Have you heard a lot of different songs about peace? So I'm going to break this down into age groups. We're going to, we're going to see where we're at here. So uh, for you who are 51 and over, what songs have you heard about peace? Give me a couple titles. Songs about peace or mention peace or they're about 51 and over. I know there's not too many, but. Let peace like a river. Okay, thank you, Mom. Mom went right biblical with us. She did it. Good job. That's, that's a great song. Yeah, some other songs. Let there be peace on earth. Okay. Anybody else? How about a secular song about peace? Peace Train. Is that Cat Stevens? All right. Thank you, Lance. We got that one. Yeah. Let's see. What, what did he... Uh, I think I have some of his words. Because out of the edge of darkness comes... The peace train. Yes, indeed. All right, yes. Someone else. All right, let's, let's drop it from that to um, 30 to 50. 30 to 50. Anybody? A song of peace. Something that you might have heard. Mm, 30 to 50 is quite quiet. Wow. What's that? Peace sells, but who's buying? Who, who wrote that? Who, who said that? Megadeth, all right, I love it. Can you imagine that? Megadeth is preaching on peace. I love it. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. Yes. Anything else? All right, how about 19 to 30 years old? 19 to 30 years old. Anybody? Oh, man. It must have just been all of us guys in the 60s. We just a lot of, I have a lot of peace songs here. All right, let's go. Sixth to twelfth grade. There's got to be at least one song that's got to be popular about peace because this person is now the person of the year, Times Person of the Year. That's not. That's not. Thank you, Zach. (laughs) I like it, man. That's it. Uh, I'll mention the album Folklore. Anybody? Do you know what the title of the song was? There's no Swifties in the place? I can't believe it. Peace, that's right. It's titled Peace. And and, and words to it are, would it be enough if I could never give you peace? And actually in a relationship, would it be enough if I could never give you peace? Pretty interesting question. We think about those different types of things in our own heart and our own lives and with people. And we're going to be looking at that a little bit today. Um, and I was thinking, like, why? You know, if you were to go to Wikipedia right now and look for songs about peace, there are 27 pages of songs that have either peace in the title or about peace. 27 pages. That's not to mention artwork. That's not to mention artwork. It's not to mention articles and newspaper articles and articles and books. Peace is a huge topic because we all struggle with it, right? There's a sense that we should have peace. But we live in a war, a world with, with wars and rumors of wars, as Jesus said. And, 
And, and these are the birth pains. So in other words, basically he's saying, guess what? This is just the beginning. There will be more war, more rumors of war. And just to, just to think about it, I have a map that if you can put that up, that would be great. So just right now, there is territorial disputes in Russia-Ukrainian war, the Kurdish-Turkish conflict, the certainly Israeli-Pakistani conflict. There's civil war in Afghanistan, Syrian civil war, instability in Iraq, in Iraq, Libya civil war, South Sudanese civil war, interstate conflicts, U.S.-Iran conflict, India-Pakistan conflict, political instability in Lebanon, in Egypt, in Ethiopia. We can go continually through this list. This is going on in our world today. It's all around us, right? We experience this. That's why there's like groups like the United Nations, right? A desire to move towards peace among those nations in the world. I actually have something from the National Peace Academy. Did you know we have a National Peace Academy? We have a National Peace Academy. They study peace. And they've come up with five spheres of peace that are interrelated. If you could put that up. So there's personal peace. There's that idea of like inside ourselves, our own inner conflict, the things that we deal with, the anxieties, the fears, the emotions, and are trying to live with an integrity in our lives. There's so much going on in our heart and minds that is their personal peace, which moves then to social peace. If I don't have personal peace, what happens to the relationships that I have? Do they then have no peace in them? Because as I have conflict, that conflict moves into other people, and the other people do that, and we see that, right? We see that in families. We see that in workplaces. We see that in schools and friends. We have social, and then you move from social to political. That's the idea of having organized groups of people being able to do things together, implementing policy and planning decisions at all levels of social organization. There's conflict. That moves to institutional, which is the larger systematic issues of organizing groups of people in a political process. And then from that, of course, we have ecological. We see in, in our world around us that the environment is also against us, right? And we also harm the environment. So there's all these things that go on. And so here they are, and they're going through it, and they sort of, I think they did a good job of naming what those five spheres are. So there's this understanding of where peace is needed, how peace can be accomplished, but no ability to make it happen permanently. No ability to make it happen permanently. The best humanity has accomplished has been short-lived peace. An end of one war, beginning of another war, a truce, and then moving forward. And even in our relationships, short-lived peace, right? Is there anybody here that doesn't have some type of relationship right now that doesn't have a tension in it or in conflict or there's anxiety about? So this is where we're at. And this is the human dilemma. This is the human dilemma. There is no peace in our own souls. There's anxiety. There's turmoil. There's racing thoughts. There's panic attacks. There's confusion. There's indecision. There's frustration. There's feelings of guilt. There's shame. There's regret. 
the heart is like a restless sea of inner conflict. This is the human dilemma. See, there's an, then you see then as that conflict, that individual level, it moves to family and cultural and global levels. That's what we see. There's also a conflict with nature, with all its disasters and diseases and death. Am I painting a pretty picture? But I think you all recognize this. This is a dilemma. This is the human dilemma. And, and here's where the Bible comes in and really explains it in a way that nothing else does. And this is why I love the Word of God, and I love that God has made this known to us. But he says, all this conflict and absence of peace is because of humanity's conflict with God. It starts with our conflict with God. It started with Adam and Eve in the garden being tempted to not trust God's love, his care, and purpose for their life. Then choosing to be God of their own lives by rebelling against God, by making a heart decision to eat the fruit. Okay, that's a symbolism of disobeying and saying we want to be able to do what we want to do when we want to do it. We want to depend on ourselves and our purpose and our plan. We want to be God. And every heart right here, whether you want to admit it or not, our default mode is we want to be God of our lives. We want to be God of our lives. And, and out of this, out of this instantly became conflict with God rather than peace with God. Immediately, there is now conflict with God. We see the shame that immediately comes on Adam and Eve. We see them running from God as he pursues them. This hasn't changed. Thousands of years later, it hasn't changed. And it created conflict both external and internal. Both creation was impacted by it and individual human beings. And then because of individual human beings, groups, and nations have been impacted by this. And Paul sort of brings it all together in Romans 3, verses 9 through 18. Let me read it to you. What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands here is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of viper is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. Is that a picture of the 24-7 news cycle? And the way of peace they do not know. He brings it together very clearly, right there. That's the human condition. That's the dilemma. Now, God doesn't leave it that way. God actually promises that he's going to step into this human dilemma and he's going to make it right. And it begins with promise and prophecy. So you go to Genesis 3.15, right in the garden, when this is happening, when the curse has been, been laid out, 
he, he does this very simple in Genesis 3.15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's now talking to Satan, who's the snake, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. In other words, he was coming, and he was going to destroy the works of the evil one. And we go a few thousand years later in Isaiah, and what do we read? For to us a child is born, to one a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Hallelujah. We move from that. Now he's going to give us a hint of what that's going to look like in Isaiah 53, 4 to 6. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now go a number of hundred other years, and here is John the Baptist. John the Baptist has been prophesied that he was going to be born. He was going to be the forerunner. His father is Zechariah. You know the story. Uh, basically, he was made deaf because of his unbelief at that time. And now the son is born, and Zechariah speaks out in Luke, and he says, this one who is coming that my son is the forerunner for is going to shine on those living in darkness guiding their feet unto the path of peace. Then John, well, then the angels come. When this one is born, we call it the incarnation, Jesus Christ at his birth, and the angels sing glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to them on whom his favor rests. In John 1, as John the apostle, who's lived with him for three years as an adult, says the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us full of grace and truth, you go all the way to the end of the Bible in Revelation 5, and what do we see? The lamb who was slain, this is that same Jesus with his blood purchased from every tribe, language, people, and nation. And then you finish off from Revelation 21 with, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming out of heaven. Now God will dwell with his people. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, pain, mourning, crying, sin, evil, brokenness. The old order of things has passed away. Hallelujah. This is what Jesus has done. He's bringing back shalom. Get a feel for that. Just think about that. This is the God of promise. It's the God of prophecy. And we are on the other side of this promise being yes and amen in Jesus Christ. I love what Walter Kaiser says in the promise of the Messiah the prophecies about the Messiah were not a bunch of scattered predictions randomly placed throughout the Old Testament, but they form a unified promise plan of God where each promise is interrelated and connected into a grand series comprising one continuous plan of God. Hallelujah. This is our God. And in that plan, Jesus, the one who's come, the promised one, brings peace with God. And this is where Josh was talking about Colossians, because I'm going to read Colossians 1, 15 to 20. 
You know, some people say this was like the first Christmas hymn in the old church. Uh, it'll be interesting hearing them sing this. I was trying to figure that out, and I just couldn't get the right tune, so you're saved of me trying to do that. But Colossians 1, 15 to 20. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. So He has supremacy over all creation. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is also the one who is supreme over the new creation. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. Now, here's the words that we should be so thankful for. For God was pleased to have all his fullness draw on him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This was the fulfillment of Isaiah 53, verses 4 to 6. This is how peace was made. He came, and what did he do? He took up our pain and bore our suffering. He was stricken and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities, our rebellion which is called sin, or wanting to be God of our own lives. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. Jesus brings peace with God. You see, the only mediator between God and man had to be God himself. Because a mediator represents both sides. And the only one who could represent the side of God is God himself. And only Jesus could live that perfect life that was necessary to be that sacrifice. So his life, death, and resurrection has made peace for us with God. Not only between us and God, but also between the fallen world and God. All things, including creation, are reconciled back to God through the person and work of Jesus. Romans 8 says that all of creation has been waiting eagerly for the revelation of God's children those who are adopted by the blood of Christ. How does this Colossians passage follow? Listen to verses 21 and 22. Once every one of us here was alienated from God, were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Listen. We deserve death. We deserve in our rebellion against God to be separated from God and because of that to be in conflict to him for all eternity and not have peace. But Christ came and on the cross, it says he stood in our place. He stood in our place on the cross and all that was to be ours was put upon him. He was abandoned by God. All that we deserve was put on him. And listen, how does God see us now? He sees us through Christ, Christ, the sacrifice. He sees us on the other side. And because of that, we have peace with God. Think about that for a second. Do you know that you have peace with God? In 1980, when I came to the Lord, 
It's, it's one of those things that, as I was reading the scripture, I just got this sense that I finally was at peace with God. And I remember talking to my father-in-law. We were down in Cape May, and I'd just come out of riding a wave, and he asked me a question about, well, what is it like to be born again? And I said, I got to tell you, I've never had this type of peace in my life. I do not have to be anybody else but myself because God loves me and I'm at peace with God. I don't have to earn anything from God. I don't have to have people like me. I don't have to be putting on all the masks that I put on. As a matter of fact, I think the wrinkles from all the lies I've been saying that different people to keep my act together are beginning to dwindle. And, and it was like one of these things where I finally had a sense. I, I had peace with God. I mean, think about that. Peace with God. The God of the universe who's created us, I now have peace. But more than that, I'm adopted as a son. 1990, I'm in youth ministry. I have a group of kids over at a house. We're studying Romans 7 and 8. And you know that famous passage where Paul keeps saying, you know, I want to do good, but then there's sin right beside me, and I want to do this. And by the end of it, he's saying to himself, oh, what a wretched man that I am. But Paul didn't end there. He then said, but because of Christ, there is now no condemnation for those who believe. He's basically saying, guess what? Because of Christ, even though I live this way, I am forgiven and I can keep going back for forgiveness and I'm at peace with God. It doesn't change my status with God. Hallelujah. It doesn't change my identity with God. I have peace with God. And I want to tell you, the Holy Spirit came upon that group and they got so fired up. They were pumped. I took them home. It was about 9 o'clock at night. One of them called me up and said, my parents were in bed. I woke them all up to tell them I had peace with God. <laughs> and I want to tell you, teenagers, there's nothing like knowing you have peace with God. It sets you free to do things you never thought you'd be able to do. Never. And this group, I was thinking about them, and I went back and I was thinking about all the names. Every one of them today are walking with the Lord. A number of them are in ministry. Like they knew it. The Spirit laid it on them. And once they knew that, it couldn't be taken away from them. Peace with God. It's so important to have peace with God. Take a second. Do you know peace with God? Jesus had done that. Don't ever take away from what Jesus has done. And so the next thing that happens then is this vertical relationship that we have with God. Now that I have peace with God and it begins to take away all the stuff that I need to do, it begins to impact my horizontal relationships, right? So you can put that a little illustration up. You see what it says? This here... And I love the way they do it with the cross because it's the cross, this is vertical, and then that horizontal is relationships with other people. And as a result of having that relationship with God with peace, then I can begin living my relationships with other people radically different. It impacts. Your relationship with other people will look exactly like your relationship with God. 
the more understanding I have of my relationship with God and my identity with God and my peace with God impacts the way I begin relating with other people. And that's, that's where we're headed now, you see, because that vertical impacts who we are. Because because of that peace, Jesus tells us something very special. He says, blessed are you who are peacemakers because you're now the children of God. So in other words, he connects those two together. We are peacemakers because we're the children of God. And, and the key to being a peacemaker is to know and act like a child of God. So listen to what 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 20 says. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. See that? Our perspective has changed. Why? Because if anyone is in Christ, you're now a new creation. We are a new creation. The old has gone. The new is here. All this from God who reconciled to us, made peace through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He's given us the ministry of peacemaking, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. This is very powerful. Our whole purpose has changed. we become a new creation. In our relationships with one another, we're now to have the mind of Christ. In Philippians, it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. See, this is the mind of Christ. Think about your selfish ambition and vain conceit and how that impacts all your relationships. Think about it for a second. I'm a pastor up here now preaching. I want you to love everything I say. That's selfish ambition. That's vain conceit. It's so close to us that we don't know the difference between godly ambition and selfish ambition. We need the Holy Spirit to help us. Rather in humility, value others above yourselves. What? All my life I've been fighting for me. I was too small. I had a fight, man. You're not taking anything from me. No. You don't need to worry about that anymore. You have peace with God. You're a child of God. You don't need to worry about that at all anymore. And it's actually, if you recognize who you are and what Christ has done for you, then guess what? You know you're the same as everybody else in your heart apart from what God has done. You can humble yourself. And you can seek others' interest as you would seek your own. Wow. Wow. I can do that in Christ. You see, because that Holy Spirit that's in us now gives us the ability to see people with the eyes of Jesus rather than our own eyes. 
to see people with the eyes of Jesus. How did Jesus see people? They were rejecting him. They were cursing him out. Some people wanted to torture him. I mean, we know what was going on. Those in status quo, they literally were jealous of him. They hated him. They wanted him dead. How did Jesus see people? It says he saw them as harassed, as helpless, as hopeless, as blind, as hurting, as broken. This is how Jesus saw people. And if I see people with that same heart, I see them radically different. I don't see them against me. I see them in struggle. I see them needing to know the same peace that I know, the same peace that I have in Christ. And one thing about my father-in-law was, is he saw people that way. He had a gift that God had given him through the Spirit. And, And I will tell you, that was a power to the ministry when, when he stepped into working with motorcycle gangs and working with son-in-laws like myself and Bob Heppy. Because what he saw in the eyes of Jesus was contagious. It brought hope. And when he said to my wife, Angela's going to make a good pastor someday, and my wife almost choked on that. He saw through the eyes of the Spirit. So here I am, 30-some years later, a pastor. God has a sense of humor, doesn't he? But do we see people with the eyes of Jesus? Because I now can do that, because I have peace with God, and now that Spirit lives in me. And as I do that, I begin to say, Holy Spirit, give me your fruit. I need it. I, know, I need the love. I need the joy. I need the peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. I need these things in all my relationships. And I'm coming to you, Holy Spirit, and I'm saying, give it to me that I might step in with the mind of Christ into every relationship I have and be that peacemaker. That I would be quick to listen. I would be slow to speak. And I would be slow to anger. Wow. A Giuliani slow to anger. That's a miracle. That's a miracle. And here's the one that just literally blows the lid off of it. Forgive as you've been forgiven. Forgive as you've been forgiven. What kind of world would we live in if we were able to forgive as we've been forgiven by God? What would happen in Gaza right now if generations of bloodshed were able to forgive one another? What would happen in the Middle East? What would happen in our homes and in our families if people were able to forgive in the way that we've been forgiven that Christ made peace in that way for us? But brothers and sisters, we do have the ability to do that. We have seen that again and again. There are many illustrations. Even recently in the mass shootings, seeing a church of people begin to forgive. The TV stations did not know how to handle that. It was so powerful that they were just quiet. Can you imagine? All those pundits on TV can't say a word. Why? Because there was power in this forgiveness. 
we do become peacemakers. Uh, just put that uh, up for just a second. These are just some of the attributes, right? I see in, the, in their forgiveness, but there's care and there's grace and there's friendship. There's sincerity and intentionality. There's attitude. There's kindness and unconditional benevolence. There's peace. All these things are attributes of we who are peacemakers. You can take it down. See, God has called us to be ministers of reconciliation. I, another word for that is he's called us to be instruments of peace. I was never so awakened to that concept but by about 17 years ago when I, my character was being assassinated. And I remember being in my study and I was reading the Beatitudes. And I remember the Spirit saying, you need to be an instrument of peace. And I got to tell you, every particle of this Italian's blood and mind wanted to go to war. You want to assassinate my character? Uh, the Spirit just hit me so deeply that I just got on the floor and laid down and started to weep. Lord, make me an instrument of peace. And he changed my whole perspective. And that was my desire in that process, was that I would leave in peace. Even, even though things had happened, that I would leave in peace. By God's grace, that happened. And I can look back, and I still have relationships with people that at that point I probably didn't even know they were hurting me. And here's the thing about being seeds of peace, because we can do this in every relationship. You know, when you put a seed in the ground, it's a little seed. It's down underneath this dirt. Can you imagine how much weight is on that seed? And yet that seed does what? It moves the earth, and something grows from it. As we become seeds of peace in our relationships, that's what happens with hearts of stone. Hearts of stone begin to break. Have you ever, have you ever laid concrete, and then all of a sudden there was a little bit of a branch through it? But, but that's what seeds of peace do. We are now seeds of peace, and hearts of stone can be broken. And God brings out of those hearts of stone reconciliation people's hearts open to God. And I love what William Barclay says here. Here's the quote. Let the peace of God be the umpire in your heart. If the peace of Christ is the umpire in our hearts, then when feelings clash and when we are pulled in two directions at the same time, when spirit-led compassion conflicts in our hearts with self-centered indifference and irritation, the decision of Christ through the Spirit will keep us in the way of love and peace. I believe that. I've seen it happen again and again in my own life. I've seen my whole personality change. I've seen God do that. I've been compelled by the love of Christ to do things when I look back and I say, I would never do that. Only God could get me to do that. 
I've stepped into conflicts to be a peacemaker. And I'm like, why, Lord, are you putting me in this place? I want to run. And then I saw God at work. And then I saw God at work. And I know many people, many people in here would say the same thing. But here's where we start, okay? I don't know if you're convicted. I don't know if you just want to get up and say, I'm glad I heard that, but that's not for me. I can't be a peacemaker. Too many people have hurt me. Too many things have happened. No, you, you don't even know it yet, but you are a peacemaker because you're a child of God. But here's how we do it. We pray. We pray. Okay, you've heard me say there's different things I pray. And I know when I say every morning, you know, it's not a mandate. Angelo isn't saying you need to wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning. You can do this anytime. But I would say it's good to start the day out this way. That's only my own thing. But I pray every day, not my will, but your will be done in and through me this day. Not my will, but your will be done in and through me this day. I have to pray that every day and through the day. And then the prayer that goes right with it is, Lord, make me a peacemaker, not a warmonger, and not a peacekeeper. I have to pray this prayer. My tendency, if, if things are going against me or people are going against me, I'm a warmonger. You want to fight? I'm ready to go. And believe me, you're going to die before I stop. That's my personality. I'm a warmonger. There are others who are peacekeepers. Peace at any price. I'll just appease that person. I'll just keep it going. That's not peacemaking either. That's peacekeeping. And there's going to be some bad results from that too. But peacemaking having the mind of Christ, seeing people through the eyes of Christ, being willing to step in, being willing to forgive. These are the things that come as we... And again, I said this a few weeks ago. Are you praying to the Holy Spirit? You pray these prayers to the Holy Spirit. You pray them to the Holy Spirit because the Spirit does this. Now, here's the greatest testimony that I could give you. A couple weeks ago, my wife said to me, you know, you're really a lot calmer in your life. You really don't handle things the way you used to handle things. That was an answer to this prayer. And it didn't happen overnight, and she can attest to that. But God is at work. And as I pray these things, he is changing me through the Holy Spirit. And as I enter into different relationships, I see that I have more ability and bandwidth to listen and not to respond. Okay, one thing. Eagles games might be the... Okay, we won't go to the Eagles games yet. But it's even getting better with driving, so we're in pretty good shape here. But I'm just saying, it doesn't happen overnight. You keep praying. The Lord says... Guess what? You start first by asking, and then you end up by knocking, and keep knocking, 
and ask the Holy Spirit to do this. Because what happens, brothers and sisters, as we become instruments of peace, as we become seeds of peace, as we become peacemakers, we become those who are bringing peace wherever we go. And that impacts people. You know, my sister calls me up. She struggles with mental illness. But the one person she'll call up is me. And by God's grace, I'm able to bring her mind some peace and talk with her. That's not because of who I am. The last thing I want to do is answer that phone. But it's because of who Christ is in me. And as I pray to be peacemaker, he makes me willing to listen and to speak by God's grace to be one who plants seeds of peace. Amen? May God do this in our lives. It starts with knowing that we have peace with Christ. It starts with what God does for us in Jesus. May God bless us as a church during this Christmas season. May he bless us in our families, with our friends, with our neighbors. And may we be those who plant seeds of peace because we are peacemakers who are at first peace with God. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, just lay this before you, Lord. You know my own heart. You know how, just thinking through these things, I can look at what you've done and I can also have so much conviction about how much more I need to grow, Lord. But I'm thankful I'm in that process and I'm thankful that we as brothers and sisters are in this process and I'm thankful that you make peace. The peace that we could never make, Jesus, you made. So I pray for everybody here from the youngest to the oldest that we would know so deeply the peace that we have with God through Jesus Christ that it would begin to impact the horizontal relationships of our lives. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.